The Evolved Succeed podcast, where founders, entrepreneurs, business leaders, and experts are interviewed to explore the link between personal and business success. We will also investigate and establish the need for ongoing personal development, accountability, and support. The objective is to inspire you, the audience, to be better in life and in business. Welcome to the 20th episode of the Evolve to Succeed podcast. I launched this podcast in December last year with the prime goal of bringing to you the journeys and personal and professional insights of top business leaders and entrepreneurs. In recognition of this milestone of the 20th episode, I decided to have a look back at the conversations I've had over the past few months and just pick out some of the highlights. We've had a great variety of guests from all kinds of industries, from hospitality, education, and laundry, to property, life coaching, and iced coffee, just the name of you. We've even had an actor. There really are some great stories there, as well as some valuable wisdom and advice that's born out of both good and bad experiences. My hope with this podcast, as always, is that you'll learn something new or develop a new perspective on something, whether it's to do with business or something more personal. So let's get on with the show. Mark Cribb was my very first guest on the show. And being a restaurateur and bar owner with several restaurants and a great hotel under his Urban Guild brand. Among other things, we found out how he developed his passion for hospitality and discussed the joys and challenges of owning a seasonal business. What made you start your own business? I think I'd always known I wanted to be self-employed. So my parents were self-employed. So as a kid, um, I lived in a bed and breakfast for a while in Boscombe. Um, they hated that. My dad used to climb over the back wall of the B&B to get into the building so he didn't have to meet any customers on the way in because okay. he had another job. Uh, and yeah, he didn't really like living where there were customers. So I think I'd been exposed from a very young age to that self-employed world. Uh, and then they had a uh, catering wagon, literally hot dogs and cheeseburgers and stuff on the markets. So they used to do Boscombe Market, Christchurch Market. And I remember this is probably when I was studying and they went away to Australia for a few months and let me run the business while they were gone okay. and keep the cash. And it was still there when they came back? It was still there. Not only that, but I'd actually made some money. And uh, I just don't think it had ever really crossed my mind that I was going to have a career yeah, where I worked for somebody else. So I did then go away and travelled and did some other bits okay. we can get into. But yeah, I think I'd, I'd always wanted to be self-employed. And why hospitality? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I, I, I don't think I realised this at the time, although my parents had kind of been in hospitality. The key thing that I knew through, um, through college and uni and I always knew this was going to be the case. I knew I was going to go traveling. It was never up for debate that I wasn't okay. going to go away. I actually, um, I worked at Tesco's when I was at uni and yeah. I saved my student loans. So you could get a fair bit of debt out of the government at that time. And I was, um, my mates thought I was quite sad because I would literally put all of that debt into the bank and say, I'm going to use that to travel the world rather than spending it on beer when I was at uni. And it was, it was always a non-negotiable. I was like, I'm going to go traveling when I finish. And I don't know, my dad had been in the merchant Navy. So maybe we'd had conversations as a kid. Um, but anyway, going traveling, traveling around the world, the more I traveled, the more I fell in love with people and humanity. And I think the less likely it became that I was going to go and get a job at JP Morgan in the city. And was there a moment in those early years when you absolutely felt that you were on track? This was it. This is what it was all about. Or was it just, 
hard graft? No, it was just graft. I think I, I got a bit of confidence to at least realise we were going to smash what we told the bank we were going to do because I think we did it in year one, certainly year two. Um, so I think year one, I think we did about 180 grand in year one, which was which was triple what we were you know, turning over when we bought it. Uh, and then we did f- just over 500K in year two and then a million in year three. So the speed of growth was Fantastic really fast. Growth, yeah, so I, but I don't think I was there thinking, oh, here we go, I'm going to be a millionaire. You know, all my dreams come true. I was just grafting. Uh, but I was enjoying it in that sort of sick, crazy, overworked way that entrepreneurs do in the early years where you just, you don't really stop to think about what you're doing. It's just about creating, fulfilling the building's potential really and fulfilling the business's potential. And it was all about trying to make it through that. Obviously you got married during this journey, two kids. Yes. Have you managed that balance? Um, I think it's essential actually. I think it's probably the only thing that's kept me sane is having that ability to to have family and and I've always been consciously incompetent rather than subconsciously incompetent which I think is really important so if if I'm failing you know traveling for two years working in this industry which is all about human beings and then not actually having the presence to spend time with your family would just be ridiculous and and it happens all too often in hospitality there's a lot of um people who get addicted to booze or addicted to the hours because we are fundamentally busy when other people not but it comes back to your previous question about that ability to delegate so i buy my time off and i'm not perfect at it because it's hard to relax when you know your business is busy but you only get one chance to spend time with your wife and spend time with your kids. And, and I, like I say, it's that conscious incompetence. I'm not perfect at it. At least I know that I'm not good at it. And I know when I need to make more effort with it. So, yeah, so it's been there. I never went into the business because I wanted to be a workaholic. I went into it because I wanted to create something and I wanted financial freedom. But I wanted that freedom so that I could do stuff that's do really important. Do the things important. you're loving life. Yeah, yeah, which is definitely hanging out with the kids. They're 11, 10 and 11 now. And uh, I think I've got that right. And, That's um, a great age. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, and I, and I still I want to spend more time with them than I do. But I don't think I ever missed a bath time, even in those first couple of years when it was bonkers, bonkers busy. I always made sure I got home, you know, did a bath, read a story. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a challenge, but it does keep you sane. Becky Holston was my next guest, a life coach and stress expert. Becky gave an insight into the causes and effects of stress and eloquently explained just how important it is to have balance in life. As an entrepreneur or business owner, you know that a complete work-life balance is somewhat of a myth, as we are business owners 24-7 and not Monday to Friday, 9 to 5. However, this doesn't mean that we can't teach ourselves to be more present in everything we do, especially when spending downtime with family and friends. The pursuit of this sort of holistic and meaningful success is one of the aims and founding principles of Evolve. Have you seen an increase in those coming to you with suffering from greater anxiety and stress because of modern life? Is yeah, that something we're seeing? very much so. I think we're the isolated, you know, the, the, the biggest isolated generation. Um, and I think that we are getting, we've been educated a lot by the medical industry, but we haven't been educated into how to empower ourselves. Okay. So we're, we're looking now at stress as an illness when actually stress isn't, you get stress-related illnesses. Yeah. And in fact, stress is behind 95% of all illnesses. 
we're starting to get away from that masculine energy burnout, which I mean, I've seen, you know, I work with a lot of guys um, age 40 to 60, and I've seen, you know, who've been very successful in the past and everything that they've done, basically breaking themselves to get somewhere has worked in the past and has been rewarded. And now it isn't, yeah. and they don't know what to do. Over-controlling yeah. situations, you know, and I think that's a big humanity issue that we have. We don't have as children in the same way, but, you know, over-controlling is another response of stress. And it's a, bit, it's a bit like fear of the future. So if I can imagine everything that could possibly go wrong in the future, and then I can control it, then I'm all right. Okay. Um, but actually, that can get out of hand quite quickly. And you then start to control things that haven't even happened. Yeah, I, I cycle a lot, but I actually um, love going to the mountains. So the Alps, the Swiss Alps, French Alps, with my bike, um, with some friends, or just on my own <laughs> sometimes. But just being in nature, being in that environment, is just, just, it absolutely takes me down three or four steps. And I don't know why, and I don't, can never quite understand it, but yeah, I, I, can, I can absolutely agree with what you're saying. Because we can't control it, yeah. right? And for some, for people who have been conditioned to have to be in control of everything because the consequences are, you know, X amount of people lose their jobs, you know, you can't meet the payroll, whatever it is. Just to get back to being um, subservient to something releases your burdens. So I think nature is a greater force. And if you can spend time grounding yourself in nature, um, you know, you can't control the waves, you can't control the mountains, you can't control the trees. So that energy, everything gives off energy, um, you know, everything. So by putting yourself in that, you become the smaller energy. Andrew Skipsey is the managing director of telecoms company M12. He is also a former Royal Marine who served in the Falklands War. I sat down with him in his home in the Dorset countryside to talk about competitive spirit and how his experiences in the Marines have shaped his personal and professional life. One of the things that I've seen working with business owners, entrepreneurs over the years is those that have had that military experience and background have a tendency to exceed. Uh, uh, so what's that success? What do you think drives that success? Why do you think there's a, there is a, definitely a strong correlation between a, a military career, starting your business and succeeding? Um, I think the grounding of getting through training, you know, the commando values, uh, the, the sheer perseverance that you need in, uh, in order to, to make it and earn that, you know, that coveted Green Bury. Uh, yeah. it's, it's a long training course. It's, it, at the time it was six months. It's even longer now yeah. uh, for, for recruit training. And, uh, and that, that transformed you. It turned you genuinely from uh, a, a civilian to somebody who was an, an individual with character. Interesting. That's twice you've talked about training now. You've talked about training as you came out of the yes. Marines in your exit course yeah you talked about well I actually realized further training at quite an early stage in your more corporate sales yes. career um so training is clearly something you've absolutely valued it, you, yes correct absolutely right. and and always have done and you know even in I think that comes back to you know to my time in the Royal Marines you know even as a um you know a, a low-ranking 
um, uh, Royal Marine or Lance Corporal or Corporal, um, you gained instructor status really quite quickly. And it, it becomes part of your DNA yeah. to receive training and to give training. Well, let's talk about that evolution and ambition then. So what was your, you know, original ambition? Uh, okay, original, and this is where M12 came in really good because uh, original, let's last 12 months. You know, with so many okay. businesses don't last yeah. 12 months. And then it was, let's get to be a 12-man business. Okay. So, so uh, we, yeah, we, we, we hit that. Uh, let's get to um, 1.2 million turnover in the early days. We got that. And then we, it was profit. Uh, we haven't quite hit the net profit <laughs> yet. <laughs> that would be a nice, a nice uh, uh, place to be. Next up was Barbara Cox, Managing Director of BC Nutrition. Barbara's passion for nutrition and well-being saw her in 2004 set up NutriChef, a healthy meal delivery service. The success of that business carried her through to the British Chamber of Commerce Entrepreneur of the Year in 2008. And in 2015, she sold the business to focus on the consultancy side of what she does. Barbara's knowledge and enthusiasm is infectious, and I'm pleased to have had her on board as a guest and also as a brand partner of Evolve. So one of the things that I always, you know, love to kind of delve into and understand a little bit more is for me, you know, I talk about evolve and I talk about success and I talk about holistic success and it's that balance between succeeding in business mm -hmm. and getting the balance to succeed personally in your personal life too. Yeah. So how did you juggle a growing successful business with being a mum? Yeah, it's a good question. I often look back on that and I get asked this an awful lot. And I, th I think balance looks different for every single person. And I think what was maybe balancing in the younger beginning years in 2004, when I started, were very different in 2015 when I actually sold the company. So you grow with the team, but you grow as a person and the, your surroundings are are different, but I, I think in the early days it was it was being really clear with my boundaries on time, and being really transparent with my kids. You mm -hmm. know, Lily and Hannah. Um, I mean, as I said, Hannah was three. Lily must have been six. So uh, it was great that um, they were in full time education. We we put Hannah into you know Montessori school so we could start the business, but. Um, it stopped when I got home. I had absolute full time and they had my full attention at the times that we were there. So I had, you know, things like cleaners and, you know, um, outsourced anything all, all and everything. everything. So and I was, a mum when you were there. Exactly. And I was really lucky that I had a healthy meal delivery company. So of course, <laughs> all my meals were done as well. You're contributing to their wellness, not only within the business, but actually when they go home, because there's a lot of stresses and strains that happen at home that people bring to work. So it kind of encompasses everything, um, taking care of the person as a whole, because that business is their community as well. I mean, you know, NutriChef grew maybe 40 something staff at, at the end, and, and we were a community in, in ourselves. And I used to love seeing, you know, the drivers come 
straight in and, and just go straight to the kitchen to see everybody. Hey, how are you? It's a great part it, of running a business, isn't it? I mean, it is. Part, you know, it is. 50 people and I love that sense of family and community. And- yeah, and it's it's wonderful. So, you, you know, they have, they've built those bonds between themselves and they get to know their families. They socialize outside. So I kind of felt responsible for taking care of them, you know, like Mama Hen in yeah. a way, um, not only for the profits of the business, but actually to enrich them as a person so they can live a great life themselves. A business leader listening to this podcast knows they're not eating well, knows they want to make a difference, they knows they want to make a change yeah. to their nutrition and diet. What's the first step they should take? Oh, hydrate. <laughs> <laughs> Drink more water. Okay. You know, mental clarity is is all around to, to hydration. And um, so, you know, planning for that as well. Uh, and with a lot of corporates, it's, um, I've just, last week, no, Monday it was, and I was working with, um, wow, someone who's super busy right at the top of their game. And I actually had to make him a tick list. So wake up at 6.30. Then you have your hot water with a slice of lemon. Then you have a green tea. Then you have this. And literally he's had to tick because he's so busy. There was almost no brain space available for him to implement a new routine. So I created a new routine, but I created a way of making it a daily healthy habit. And I got a text from him today and he goes, do you know what? I've slept the best. Last night was the best night's sleep I've had in ages. Brilliant. And so it's flooding their schedule with all the good stuff incorporated with everything else that they have to do in a really easable, easy, attainable, implementable way that makes sense. But they see rapid benefits. You have to see the benefits within the first week of doing this. So it's choosing correctly what is going to have the biggest impact. The fifth guest on the podcast was Alex Shepard, entrepreneur and founder of Kids Love Nature Gardens, as well as his views on early years education and running a business with his wife. I was interested in his way of thinking and his ability to implement seemingly impossible ideas. After all, he built a kindergarten inside a zoo. Were you always good as a couple trying to get that separation between business and personal? Yeah, I think so. Relationship in... Yeah, I mean, my wife and I are, are, are really close and we have a great relationship and, you know, we are friends in that way and we're very open. So we we discuss a lot about where maybe the business element of the day is coming into the family home, maybe not just as in regards to teachers knocking on the door and asking whether they can borrow a pot or a pan because yeah. something, you know, <laughs> taking a microwave because the other one's broken and they're trying to heat something up. Um, so there's those kind of things, but then also making sure that we... Um, we actually, we actually do separate the sort of business talk from the per- personal life. But I think ultimately, for me, is I've kind of come to realise that if you love both, then it's not a problem. The approach has evolved, and I think the biggest shift for me is the idea of sort of emotional well-being and resilience, and that's a sector-wide shift. Um, in early years education, when you think of preschools and kindergartens, it was somewhere that your child was cared for, where you went to work. Yeah. If they learned how to write their name and count to 20 and work at tie their shoelaces and eat well yeah, and exactly. da-da-da-da, you know, that's a fantastic foundation. You go, yeah. you go into school and they've done well. Um, now I think we're seeing at the, 
at the output from say university level there's a lot of people who have mental health issues there's a yeah. lot of people who are struggling with their own resilience yeah. we're going into a completely different marketplace and it goes to work yeah. you're not guaranteed a job anymore and right the way from quite a young age right there through mental health it's become a big issue and we've been focusing on emotional resilience emotional well-being and resilience for you know 10 years now but it's now common language but it whereas it wasn't when we started okay. talking about it but it's nothing i think it's just something that's going to become more and more important and I, I resonate with that you know i've talked quite openly about my kind of value of despair that believing us as a business and me as an individual believing in our own hype and mm. that rejuvenation that has to take place from there mm. in terms of your own story of rejuvenation yeah you know how did you you know for the, the people listening and are thinking they're feeling in that place of despair and wanting that greater understanding what were your next steps i realized that i had to do the work away from the business. So actually that to make sure that I didn't muddy the two. Yeah. So this wasn't then, but my own journey didn't become everybody's journey because it wasn't everybody who needs to go through this. It was just me. Yeah. So I had to make sure that I separated the two. And then I had to find people that I trust who were, had, I think the best teachers is someone can understand the perspective that you're looking from when you feel in that place but then also looking from the other side when they've worked it out for themselves. So I surrounded myself with mentors and people who could give me the guidance and point at something. You know, one of the things I've learned in anything in early years with the working with the children is you can't really teach a child. All you really do is point at something and wait for them to discover it for themselves. And I strongly believe in that. And I think what I did was find people that pointed at something and then allowed me the time to work it out for myself. David Chamberlain is the Sales and Marketing Director of Performance Climate Systems, a company that supplies tools and systems to understand and measure team culture and performance, as well as improve leadership. A fanatical endurance runner and former running coach, David is also passionate about establishing optimal environments within a business and often transfers the same mental and physical training techniques he used as a running coach into corporate team management and motivation. What's interesting is that one of his subjects that came up was the challenge of remote working. How apt is that given the current circumstances? Now that remote working has become a topical issue, it was fascinating and somewhat eerie to listen to the conversation again, knowing that neither David or I had any idea that the world and the way we work was about to change forever. So within that and that training, did that incorporate the mindset piece as well? You know, because running in any event like that isn't just about kind of the mechanics of it, is it? Or an yeah. eating and nutrition that's a big part, but mindset yeah. plays a big place. Yeah, and it, yeah, it plays an enormous part in it. Um, and... Yeah, it's, it's always very interesting working with working with clients. Obviously, for, yeah, for oneself in terms of yeah. understanding your, your your true capacity and potential, um, but also working with people and seeing that transition of you've given me this program to do all around this run. Yeah, you know, I don't think I can do it. I can't make it up that hill. Um, you know, it hurts too much, etc., uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera. Um, 
but when they suddenly get that realization, there's a there's a, a switch that gets flicked, and they go, actually, I've been pushed, and it generally takes someone else pushing you, yeah, to realize it and to be able to do it, unless you're unbelievably individually and intrinsically motivated, which some people are. Um, but for most people, it takes actually someone to go, you've got a lot more potential than you think, but I need to push you to that point for you to realize it. Um, but then once they've got there, suddenly their expectation and their um, their understanding of their own potential massively increases. Yeah. So if you think about organizational culture as the personality of a company, so relatively fixed, you can change it, but it's a, it's a big old job to do. Climate is different and climate relates more specifically to the mood, if you like, of a particular team or a particular office within a business. So I'm sure a lot of people listening to this will, will appreciate you can be the owner of a business or be operating within a business. You have a fixed culture. You can sit with one team in one office, has a certain mood to it, certain climate to it. Um, and you can go and sit with a, another team on the other side of the office and it feels completely different. So culture's the same, climate is very, very different. I'm intrigued with your experience of, you know, working with PCS and seeing the results. You know, just to talk about, I suppose, two areas of modern life mm. that may affect businesses and, and particularly perhaps entrepreneurial businesses that are growing and trying to and do things differently. One is the... Um, and we started to touch on it earlier, is that operating remotely, that work from home culture, that, mm. you know, not everybody being in the same place. Um, how do you see that? And how have you seen that impacting on perhaps those kind of businesses when you've undertaken or they've undertaken the PCS server? Mm. Yeah, I mean, re remote working is a, a really interesting one. I mean, it's, it's generally speaking, businesses introduce it because of cost, so it's it's, yeah. it's more often than not driven. Not it's, it's not driven by some altruistic thing of wanting to do the right thing by their people and give them flexibility. It's normally a cost thing um, yeah. as, as a primary driver. So you're saying it's not a culture, it's not a personality thing. It's just a need thing. It's it's, it's a need thing, and it, it, it makes sense in a lot in a lot of ways. And more and more businesses are doing it more and more regularly. Um, I, I think you know, the, the caution is by removing people from. A physical office space, um, and this sort of ties into. Um, you know, I mentioned within our wheel, you've got goals, roles, processes, adaptability, connection, and then resilience. You know that connection bit, that pride and identity, um, and you know reward and recognition, which which isn't um, just financial reward. It's you know the recognition that you get for being part of a team and and so on and so forth, and how you're, how you're rewarded intrinsically as well as extrinsically. Um, it's very easy to lose that. Um, so I think people. In, in terms of moving to remote working, you just need to be really careful that A, you've got the right processes in place, so all that transactional stuff, but B, in terms of that connection piece, it's not saying don't do it, because you can absolutely do it, but make sure that people have the ability and the capacity and the structures in place to be able to engage with each other. My next guest was Adam Matten, who went from teaching English in China to founding the removals company WeMove, which is slowly but surely disrupting the removals industry in Dorset. It was great to hear his story and to understand how he injected life and innovation and even some humour into an old industry that's in need of a shake-up. But as I moved towards this bit point in which I knew the business wasn't going to work out, it was that sort of 
what do I do now? You know, I've given up my career. I don't really feel like any part of me wants to go back and yeah. start sitting behind an office and working, you know, at LV or any of the other big corporates as great as LV was. It was, a, you know, it was a great employer and I, you know, but, but that was hard. You know, I was kind of like, it was like, it was that sort of what next, what am I going to do now? You know, can I not run a business? I, I've done this one and it's not worked out yeah. and I might have some lessons, but I don't think I could see the lessons until now. I can look back and see the lessons, but at the time it felt just like failure. And I'm not sure in the UK we're that supportive, are we, of those that, no, absolutely sort of not. Fail or, or don't succeed, or the first opportunity doesn't go as planned. Yeah, and I think we should have more of a supportive culture, haven't we? But I think people feel quite isolated when that happens to them. They do. They don't know where you know where to turn or or what to do. You know, they don't know necessarily because they're so often caught up in just running their business. They don't know about things like peer groups yeah. or even to a certain extent, you know, the networking they might have done. They might have made some you know, good contacts where they could have, you know, had someone to, to lean on or talk to. And it can be, you know, it can be quite like isolating. It's the um, power of a mentor, but sometimes we don't understand that. No, you know, we, we don't. Somebody to lean on, somebody just to talk to, somebody that's been there, done it. Yeah, yeah. Seen it, but in, I remember starting off at Inspire and didn't have that individual really. And it was only by chance, got talking to people and then started to lean on them, but it can be really lonely, I feel like in business you see so many quotes and stuff and you'll see them, you know, uh, you know, on LinkedIn and stuff. It's like, never use the word failure. And I'm like, I want no problem with using the word failure. Um, failure doesn't have to be a bad thing. It's a, yeah. it's a negative connotation we attach to. As long to, as like, we learn from it. It's like anything in life, isn't it? It's things don't go to plan personally or in business or whatever you do. Yeah. As long as you learn from that experience. Exactly. That, that is the key point, right? It's like, okay, and if I mention failure, people go, yeah, but you didn't fail. And I'm like, yeah, but I did because I didn't make any money and it wasn't a sustainable business. So that's, you know, by definition, you could you could say failure. But, but as I say, I don't see the failure in any way as a bad thing now. I look back on it and go, yeah, I, I did learn. So I remember in the first few months, you know, rocking up and, you know, and they would probably, they would sort of snigger at you and, you know, because you'd be the man of van, they would be in their slightly bigger truck and with a logo on, whereas ours was just plain and, but I but I began to see them because they were sniggering at me, but I was kind of like, hey, this is a sideline project. And actually, like, how rubbish is that van? It's old. You know, the staff are overweight. Um, you know, they're not they're not protecting the customers' carpets. And we weren't doing these things because we were just a man and van. But I was starting to see actually the the problems that, you know, that people might have finding a removal company that they could consider professional. Matthew Barker at Barker Group, the dry cleaning and laundry services business was particularly interesting to talk to. Not only did he give us an insight in what it is to be get involved in the family business and take that business on from the previous generation, something that can clearly be fraught with challenges. He also told us the story about how in 2005, his laundry burnt to the ground. And it was only through his considerable resilience and foresight that the business recovered. Is there a burden at all on you that you are third generation in the industry? Does that carry any weight on your shoulders? Or uh, that's interesting. I think um, I think I, I always had this drive to prove myself to my father. Okay. So there was something there from a very early stage. I needed to prove myself. Okay. Um, uh, whether whether the, it is is a natural thing in families, I don't know. But I think uh, I very much wanted to do my own thing. I was very driven to prove myself. Yeah. Um, coming into the family business, um, I definitely was driven to make it work and do yeah. it better. Where did you find? I you know there's the kind of modern phrase for it is resilience, isn't it? But that gut 
determination and perseverance and bloody mindedness to get through that period was um well i a fear of failure i think um okay. or, or is it stupidity i i don't know was I, there, <laughs> there must have been a moment when you looked in the mirror and, and probably more than one occasion and thought i can't do this i'm not going to do this well i went through hell between 2005 and 2010 really okay. um uh, and many many times i wondered why the hell i was carrying on yeah. um we came out of that situation i um i made a few wrong decisions in terms of our restructuring and how we were coming back um which delayed uh the the journey to the second success really but um uh I, I, we we came out of that and then went into another recession, two thousand and eight, which just compounded what was already an awful situation. Time, yeah. Yes, um, so uh, really kind of went through a kind of hell, um, but um, and the bank were looking to foreclose, um, went into special measures with the bank, um, who who were going through a rough time themselves, but. Um, Self-induced. Self-induced <laughs> um, and rather taking it out on business. Yeah. So I, I was bloody lucky to survive that. I think I've learned a huge amount, um, particularly more recently, about um, about marketing and branding, which okay. I'm really enjoying that journey at the moment. I believe that uh, we've created a, um, a good, strong brand now, which um, uh, and it's still an evolving... Um, evolving animal that brand uh, and i'm enjoying that journey so okay. i think that's an incredibly powerful it's thing it's becoming more it? and more important isn't it for our independent businesses to have that recognized brand and what they truly stand for mm. and to be able to compete yes with the big internationals uh, and i really believe now that um, if you get it right a brand is actually stronger than the product that you're actually producing the product has to be absolutely right absolutely right um and good but what when you've got a strong brand you can go off in all sorts of directions with that. It has a huge amount of power. Cheryl Hadland is also founder and managing director of Tops Day Nurseries, a highly successful chain of nursery schools. And she has been named one of the top 10 most influential people in childcare. She was even once picked by David Cameron to advise the government on this issue. She is also a passionate and outspoken champion for environmental causes and sustainability, particularly within business. Cheryl always makes for a compelling conversation. One of the things I enjoy when, you know, we've bumped into each other at events or bits and pieces is, is your passion. So how do you keep that passion for what you do alive 30 years in? It's not always been there. You know, sometimes I, I, I start to fade a bit when things are tough. Um, and, and usually circumstances rescue me. Mm. So um, I remember one of the first rescues was I was out on a, on a boat, actually, on a, on a trip. And there were some young parents on board and they had a small child. And the small child was, was very interested in what was going on, you know, fascinated, wanting to climb up on the side of the boat. Obviously, there were some health and safety risks. Um, but the, the parents were actually getting really frustrated, um, wanting the child to just sit still, um, getting cross, getting stressed. And I thought, you know what? 
I could see what's what's going on here. But in a day now, where we're totally focused on the child, I can do a really good job. Let you go and do what you need to do so that you can actually spend quality time with your child. This is not quality time. Yeah. You're you're in trouble here and yeah. you've got nowhere to go because you're yeah. on a boat <laughs> and I can't step in because that would be rude. Yeah. That's not appropriate either, <laughs> is that's it? That's not appropriate either. And we all get cross. You know, that's okay. Yeah. Um, and children have got to learn that adults get cross yeah. and that there are rules that they've got to follow. But in a day nursery, we can focus entirely on the child. So we can make sure that they're in an environment where they can learn, where they are safe, they can still run into the walls and mm. crack their nose, you know, and they can yeah. still fall off, fall off pieces of equipment and injure themselves. And quite frankly, if you don't allow them to do that, they can't yeah. learn either. So yeah. they've got to be able to learn an environment where they can have accidents, but not where they can run across the road. Yes. You know, there's, there's, safe there's got to be a reasonably safe environment where a child can take risks yeah. and learn from what they their mistakes, because that is actually how humans learn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's getting that, that balance right and i just find that so exciting so yes. what next then <laughs> what does success look like for you what's the definition of success for you right now well success now is is a lot more sustainable it's about uh, a legacy as well okay in that at 30 30 years on i know that i'm not going to be running the nurseries in another 30 years mm. i may be in the grave by then so I want to make sure that um, children can continue to be in a in a great environment with the next generation. Okay. So for me, it's it's looking at developing my team to succeed me. Okay. You know, not necessarily tomorrow, but I'm starting to look at succession. Okay. And then planning. you said earlier you've got six directors. You're developing a really senior team. Absolutely. That run yeah. business. Yeah. Or can or could. Yes, I've got some real stars. Brilliant. I've also got someone who's been with me from day one, virtually from the first year. So she's been with wow. me for thirty years. Fantastic. And she started with me as a teenager, yeah. and she has just developed herself in her own direction. She's very, very different to me. Okay. But there's a respect and a love there. Basically, okay. it's like, it's like a, an extended family. For business owners and actually for governments that don't hit, you know, their their carbon gas initiatives and all of that kind of thing, is this this there seems to be a quandary, you know, yes. impact on the environment versus economic growth and t and and until recently there wasn't a feeling that you could have both, but that Indeed. is changing. Yeah. I think it is changing. I, I think one of the risks with politics is that it, they need short term results in order to secure their vote yeah. for now. Um, and a lot of companies also think really quite short term. Five years is actually short. You know, when, yeah. when I'm looking back at 30 years of business, you know, obviously I wasn't looking forward for 30 years, but I no. still think five year plans are too short. Yeah. You know, I think we should be looking at 10 years, 20 years. Yeah. Um, but not everybody does. For the next episode, our 10th, I decided to focus and reflect on my own journey and what I've learned along the way in growing Inspire from just me, a laptop, phone and a desk to all it is 16 years later and in founding Evolve. This story has many highs and lows and even a valley of despair. Recording a conversation with myself was certainly a new experience, but it really helped open my mind and I hope it did for you too and that you got something valuable from it. Above all, when I look back on where we were 10 years into the Inspire journey, we'd lost our focus, passion and belief. 
And an important lesson I learned from this whole experience is that power of focus, passion and belief. With it, the world is full of opportunities. It's a driving force of success and you have that guiding North Star. None of us starts a business without it. And it's so easy with all the distractions and challenges to lose that focus, passion and belief during the journey. So I'd just like to ask you to reflect on the focus, passion and belief you had when you started your journey and remind yourself of why you do what you do. What are your core motivations and are you staying true to them? I'm going to challenge you that when you finish listening to this podcast, take yourself into a quiet space and stop and ask yourself, what are the most pressing issues and concerns that you have? And then think about what you're going to do to resolve them. And then actually go do something about them. In the last 12 months, there is one significant life lesson that I think is absolutely fundamental to business and indeed success. And is that we have that ability, although we forget it, that we can create the life we want to live. And in truth, that's why a lot of us get into business. We have this passion and a belief that we want to create this life that we set out to achieve. But somewhere along the journey, we lose that. The noise takes over. And therefore, I think it can be that simple to remind ourselves that we can create the life we want to live. It really is that simple. And I think if you follow that principle and what is true to you and what you believe is needed and fulfills you, you'll reap the rewards on so many different levels. Rick Exley is the managing director of Jimmy's Ice Coffee. I'm always fascinated and interested to see what happens when founders such as those at Jimmy's Ice Coffee, Jim and Susie Cregan, step aside and appoint someone else to run their business day to day for them. Rick also gave us an insight into how some of those key successes have also been achieved at Jimmy's. At the time I came in to help them with a specific sales challenge and with many things in smaller businesses especially, as you come in to face into a challenge, you realize that the solutions lie across every facet of the business. I wanted to pick up on this point about that entrepreneurial spirit within the business and you're yeah. saying it's still there, you know, things happen, yeah. it's not a long process. And I think that's one of the things when a business leader, business owner, entrepreneur, founder, whatever you want to call them, brings in a senior leadership team or brings in somebody to run the business for them, they're worried that that spark, that spirit that has got them to that point of needing that person, yeah. that team, um, kind of um, just gets gets lost. Yeah. And therefore, you know, the whole business starts to grind to a halt. So it's great that you've maintained it, mm. but how? Um, I guess there's no simple answer to this. Um, and it's something which you have to be on top of every day. Um, one element is definitely our values as a business. So we talk about structure. Within our business, we have three values that we try and adhere to every day in everything that we do. Um, and one of them is number one crew, so it's all about supporting each other. The other one is own it, which is all about just do the bit that you're responsible for. Don't have to ask twice, You know, just yeah. get on and do it. And the third one is Yala Habibi which is Arabic term, which means, come on, my love, let's, let's just go, let's get it done. So it's all about okay. speed of change. So when you've got 
three values like that, which are all about being proactive and having that sense of speed and that creativity as well. If you then take the fact that we have this aspiration to double the business in two years, if we were to carry on on our same path as we are at the moment, we would not double our business in the next two years. So it comes down to that element of change. And for me, change is about being creative. It is about being entrepreneurial. What is the next idea that's going to deliver the next million pounds worth of growth? Because at the moment, we don't have it. So there's a business need to drive it. There's a cultural values piece. And when you bring those two together, for us as a business, that that works really well. So how have you had to change your style? I'm interested to now see that transition from you coming in from a larger business environment to a kind of... uh, you know, entrepreneurial business, smaller. How have you had to change your style and adapt yourself? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I was conscious not to break the culture of what Jimmy's had already established. Um, there were definitely elements of the culture that needed change. Um, but there, at the heart of it, this whole fun um, informality piece and not being corporate, let's call it that for a second, uh, is not what Jimmy's is about. And I guess having come from bigger companies... Luckily, I'd had a couple of uh, smaller businesses prior to joining Jimmy's, one of which um, a small water charity brand. So I'd luckily got under the skin a little bit of how to work for a smaller business. Um, So I think a lot of it for me was finding that sweet spot of not being too structured. Sometimes you would put proposals forward, which wouldn't be right. You've got to accept that and go with the flow. And then other times, you know, you'd say, no, you'd have to stick to your guns and say, we really do need this. We need to push it forward because this is what's going to get us from A to B. Um, and again, I think it comes down to the, the strength of our core team that run the business yeah. that we, we will, we are honest with each other to say yes or to say no to ideas. My voice isn't the one that always, that always lands. Sometimes it'd be an idea from Jim, sometimes Sue, Steve or Luke. And as a collective, that's how we run it. And I think that's, the secret to how we'd still do so well. John Webb is the principal of St. Oldham's Academy in Paul. Under his leadership, the school has been transformed into a top performer, having had previously in 2012 the worst GCSE results in the whole of England. I wanted to understand how he and his team had managed to turn things around so successfully and how his approach could be applied in business. Is there a moment where you, in that first week or couple of weeks, despite that strong team that had come together and perhaps you were gelling and making unified decisions, when you thought, what the hell have I done? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I think all three of us felt that. Um, I I think one of the challenges, uh, and certainly Sean and I uh, on that uh, very first few days, uh, I can remember it was quite a a dark, wet Thursday uh, late afternoon. And uh, we were just sat there thinking, we need to get some high-quality teachers in this school. Mm. How do we sell this school with the long-term reputation that it has had, with the fact that it was in special measures, with the really negative publicity that it received? Who who in their right mind would want to come and join us? Career suicide. Well, that, that, I have to say, I... I the potential of. <laughs> absolutely. And, and that has crossed my mind, particularly at the beginning, thinking, yeah. have I really done the right thing? But, and I think this is something that, that I will stress quite a bit here, the moral purpose behind why we do what we do 
is stronger, I think, than than any other type of motivating factor that, that you can use to employ people. All of my changes are based in research. I will never, uh, and or certainly very, very rarely, ever change something for the sake of it. I'm not into knee-jerk reactions at all. Um, but um, one of the ways that we, we are really focusing on young people to be able to recognise that adaptability, uh, believe it or not, is through history okay. and the Industrial Revolution. Okay. Uh, because, you know, my, my personal opinion is we are going for another Industrial Revolution. Yeah. Uh, and actually, when you make a comparison to people's experiences back in the uh, 18th, uh, 19th centuries and, and what happened, um, and actually then getting the pupils to consider what changes are happening today... Uh, the young people can make some really strong links okay. uh, and actually looking at how the people back then uh, adapted to those changes some of them absolutely uh, did yeah uh, and, and others didn't mm. um, and and therefore you know it's it's just the fact that life you know the, the only predictable thing is the unpredictability <laughs> yeah, I'm really interested that there must be days when you've got team members if not yourself, but let's start with your team members, where your team members are just despairing. You know, yes. on a good day, everything's great. Yes. Every, the pupils are living to the, that aspiration and those values, but on a bad day, it goes wrong. Yes. How do you lead and motivate those team members when that happens? I think one of the first things I always do when, when somebody's in that position is really try and understand before I make any comment at all about why they feel as they feel. And sometimes I think for all of us, we have members of staff who are not just bringing in, if you like, the baggage from what's gone on during the school or, or professional day. It's what's happening also in their personal circumstances as well. Um, and I think uh, for myself, um, I will always give people that time as much as they need in order to be able to try and articulate to me what it is. So I will then clarify and say, well, OK, in, in the round actually what you're saying to me is yes yes in work that is something that is really really causing you a lot of uh, concern and frustration but also you've got a whole range of other issues taking place and it's sort of a bit of a perfect storm so i'm very solution focused okay uh i learned many many years ago that uh to be honest with you you could spend most days potentially moaning about the things that aren't going right um but it's better to spend time focusing on the things that, that aren't going right but what would be the solutions and how do you move those solutions forward so I always try when my staff come to me and they've not had a great day that they when they leave me they know that they've been absolutely listened to uh, and again I think there are certain techniques you can use to to make sure that people feel like they've been listened to so I'll always recap the key points okay. to people before they leave uh, and they also leave with uh, at least one or two options and solutions my next guest was James Pink, Managing Director and Founder of Captiva Homes. Property is one of those things that fascinates us all in the UK and it's always something that we're being told we need to get involved in and it's such a great investment. However, everybody that I know that has worked within the property industry and particularly in property development will tell you a story of extreme highs and very stressful lows. It's clear that you need considerable expertise and a strong personality to make it in the property world. And therefore, I was keen to hear how James got involved in the industry to begin with, but subsequently survived the 2008 financial crisis to come out the other side thriving. Looking 
back at those times now? What are the lessons that you did learn? I wouldn't change it. Okay. I wouldn't change it at all. Um, I think you need to celebrate yeah. failure. Uh, and it, it was failure. Um, okay. Again, naivety um, to some degrees. But I, I wouldn't change it at all. I, I've learned a lot to where I am now. So what do you think you learn from failure? Um, I think we can only learn from failure. Any evolution, you, 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 if you're trying to create a new spaceship or something, you're going to fail a thousand times, a million times to get that product. And I think as a human race, we can only learn from failure. So what, what have I learned personally from there? Um, actually, not get distracted by shiny things. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> The house, the cars. The well, not, not just material things, but not to get distracted by, you know, know what you're good at. Yeah. Do what you're good at. Yeah. Uh, understand what you're good at. And actually, there's huge opportunities in whatever you do in life. And do the best you can. And do you think you're... And we'll come on to, you know, I've been with you around the island today to see some of the stuff that's happening and some of the developments that you're working on now. And, and it's amazing, and we'll come to that. But So you've clearly got some drive and some hunger and some determination to succeed back. But do you think that knocked you? Or do you think at that time... Was it just about survival? Did you have a vision of the future? Um, and had that vision of the future changed? Yeah. Did I have a vision? Yes, I always had a vision. Um, was it not? Yes. Um, I guess from aspirations and having the rug pulled away from you, um, you, you reflect on the past. Mm -hmm. um, you, I suppose you're quite humble about what, what has happened and, and, and where you want to get to. I suppose... You, you always got that inner sort of drive of a can-do. Yeah, actually, this is not impossible. And actually, how can you do that? I suppose at those early stages, you, you're hitting brick wall after brick wall after brick wall. So you are getting up every morning. You are trying to do this. You are trying to drive to make a buck here or there. And yeah, yeah it, it's hard. So th this is a transition point. So I reflect on the story we heard earlier about you developing the flat and then buying the house. And, and then transcending to actually going to go freshwater, build 11 flats, that being a big transition. And then this transition from uh, well, building discrete developments of, you know, 20, 30 flats and a few townhouses, or owning something to a site that could possibly be over 500 when complete yeah. is a big transition and you're building the team. What's been the tougher transition so far? That first one or this one now? This one now. Okay. By far. Why? Um, because I suppose I was young and naive at that point. You just, just get <laughs> on to it. <laughs> um, now is this is this is where the tough. This is where the challenge starts now. Um, before we 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 branded each development. We we yeah. were the developer was wasn't really there. Um, we've really looked at who are we and what are we and getting that values of the company getting the focus and the vision of where we want to go to right um actually not just building houses uh, but building homes is something yeah <laughs> sounds quite cheesy but yeah. actually it's something that we believe in um you know when we first looked at this land and we started looking at the planning and how how we do this master plan it was saying what is excellence what, what is an excellent development and again it wasn't about money it's about building communities and, and places that actually I can take my kids to and mm. that they're proud that actually dad built this in 20, 50 years time. Our final guest for this special episode is Chris Manning, 
actor, filmmaker, and business owner. He came as a guest onto the podcast as a result of a social media exchange that we had. It was a chance exchange about a subject that I'm passionate about, and that being resilience. We therefore got together, had a coffee, and I was intrigued by his story and views on mental health, resilience, and fatherhood. Remembering that Chris was also an extra on the film 1917, I thought bringing him into the studio would also bring a bit of Hollywood glamour to the podcast. What is interesting, and, and when we met for coffee, I think we both had our phones out at one point, <laughs> and you looked at it and I said, well, I've lived my life for mm. sev- several weeks last summer without a phone. Yeah. Uh, do you want to just tell the listeners a bit about that? Yeah, that was a really sort of interesting experience, because as a f- when you work on a, a film as big as that, or any sort of... Um, television drama or anything like that you security is a big issue so you have to check in your phone it goes into a secured box uh, and then you check it out at the end Mm. of the day so obviously on day one it was a little bit kind of unsettling at first because we're all very much used to clocking in checking in scrolling through and and having that kind of that, that routine which uh, sadly, yeah, definitely, sadly to say, in, in my it has affected me, uh, not in in the most po- in positive of, way, of ways. Yeah. It's become a distraction, which is is, is a little bit too much, overwhelming. Yeah. I so thought f- we'd all resonate yeah. with that that our phones become uh, we avoid sometimes everyday life because mm. the phone becomes the distraction. Yeah, so we had to uh, obviously check it, check them in, and as a result, you know, you're then in a scenario where it's just you your fellow kind of uh, supporting actors, just a whole bunch of guys, none of which you've met or spent any time with, so brand new relationships, in quite a testing sort of environment physically mm-hmm. um, because, you know, the, the costume was very heavy, the weather was hot at times, and obviously we're, we're sat in a, in a trench for the best part of three or four or five days at a time. So the one thing that, that really came from that for me was a genuine awakening. And that awakening was, it really felt like I went back to being me again Mm. I felt I genuinely felt like my personality was creeping through my skin and out into the world again and people acknowledged it and I think what happens is is that we all if we all spend just a little bit too much time locked into social media and on our phones we lose sight of who we really are who who we are so for me, it was wonderful uh, because I'm, uh, I got to know some fantastic people who I still have those relationships yeah, with now. Yeah, that's great. And I, I'm trying very much to adopt and take that kind of discipline with me, try to take it with me as I kind of go through yeah. life now. I think for me, the one thing that I remember, somebody, it was actually Lamar actually on Fame Academy said to me once that if you want something to happen and you've got a goal, it's it's all about kind of preparation, preparing for it to happen. So I kind of already knew that, but it was nice to be reminded when we had follow-up conversations years later about where to go next and what to do. You know, so preparation, opportunity, success. If you prepare yeah. for the thing that you want, you're likely to put yourself in a scenario where the opportunity will happen. But in order for it to happen, for it to be a success, you've got to do that prep. So preparation, opportunity definitely leads to success. I think that's it, but it's about meaningful relationships, mm. isn't it? It's, yeah. it's, 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 I, I think I even struggle with it now, is it? And I've probably come around in the last few years to actually realising the importance for me yeah. of having those dozen 
really close friends. Yeah. Close people that you're close to that are the real I think I said the real old fashioned <laughs> relationships. Yeah. Compared to needing for business and life mm-hmm. some great connections, people that you really like spending some time with. Yeah. But ultimately they're some connections. They're connections, yeah. They're not real friends. Yeah. Yeah. There's a big difference. Th- yeah. You still need that depth, don't you, of people that you can know you can trust. Yeah. And rely on and turn to in a crisis yeah no absolutely um because there's been some tough uh, tough times in my own life over the last five ten years just just through yeah. you know life challenges that come come your way and it's at those times really that you you realize who your absolute close friends are yeah. and the reason why they're there for you when it's tough uh, and that that stems from you being there f- for them when they needed you um i've got a, a really great friend at the minute who's completely turned his like life around yeah. in ways that that ways that I haven't in some respects because he's really, you know, really turned it around with his, with his family and his job and everything, but he wasn't in that place for a long, long time. And we're closer now than we've ever been because I never gave up on him. He never gave up on me. Um, and I think it's it's about keeping those people close to you, uh, supporting them when they need you the absolute mm. most and being there for them. And also, you know, we touched on mental health and how easy it is to to kind of skirt around the tough stuff and just yeah. keep, you know, trying to paint a picture that isn't necessarily real. So asking real questions and, t- and when you check in with friends or you check in with your family and friends or close ones, it's really about asking the right mm. questions and saying, are you, are you actually all right? Is everything, you know, yeah. that we're, you know, we're, we're friends. just taking that initial answer because so many of us I'm just fine. go, yeah, it's great, yeah. life's good, yeah. it's yeah. fine, yeah, don't <laughs> yeah. worry. Yeah. It's not but fine. actually, deep down it may not be and it's about yeah. having those people around you that, you can be there for them and they can be there for you. So that's it for this special 20th episode. I really hope you've enjoyed listening to the unique insights and wisdom of the guests on the podcast to date. I think it's really important for our own growth, both as business owners and as human beings, to get that wide variety of perspectives of people who come from that variety of different backgrounds and professions. There's always something that we can learn from somebody's story. I think the main thing that came across from all of those conversations though for me was that sense of single-mindedness and purpose and that ability to be resilient and how those are some key factors to their success as individuals. I was also pleased and appreciated the guest's honesty and openness in all of the interviews I've done to date. Whether it be about their struggles in business albeit their personal lives. There's some really great lessons in all of those conversations. And it's interesting to see that as is right and is true, they all had a different meaning and definition of success. And they all gave us an insight about how to go about achieving a healthier work-life balance. As you may know, that's one of the driving factors behind Evolve. You know, that Evolve is this supportive community in which like-minded individuals are free to express their highs and their lows, as well as gain a real insight and inspiration for their business and their personal growth and well-being as an individual. It really is hard to believe that this is the 20th episode of the Evolve to Succeed podcast. It's been a great adventure so far. And like you, I've learned so much from all of the conversations and it's reminded me about how invaluable and enriching it, it is to simply sit down and have a conversation and talk to people. 
If you aren't yet a member of Evolve, then please do go to EvolveMembers.com and sign up for free. You'll have access to the great inspirational content, as well as an opportunity to join one of our peer groups, which clearly at the moment are being run remotely on Zoom. We'll also be launching a number of different events when we come out the other side of this crisis. And it'd be great to be able to keep you informed. So please do go to EvolveMembers.com and sign up for free. I'd also like to remind you that we have a special COVID-19 resources page on our website. The website is inspireaccountants.co.uk. Carries all of the important financial and government support and funding information you need right now at this moment in time to get access to the funding and grants that will help you thrive and strive through this crisis. So whether you're a regular listener or this is your first time listening to the podcast, it's been really great having you listen. And I hope you really have enjoyed this podcast and are a continued listener going forward. So please do subscribe, rate and review the podcast. Until next week, from the involved team, please stay safe.